folks, um, good morning, afternoon, um, evening, welcome wherever you are. Um, with, you're here for the um, IP Fabrics Community Fabric um, webinar, where we're talking today, well, the title is, What Has Network Automation Ever Done For Us? Now, some of you are gonna get that reference. Um, chances are you may well have a, a British influence if you do. And guess what? Our panel has a very British influence today. We've got um, a number of people gathered from the, the, the great and the good um, in uh, network automation. And I'll, I'll whiz quickly around everyone, but you'll, you'll get to know them all, no doubt, over the next uh, the next half an hour, hopefully. Um, we have Charles uh, Greenaway, who is um, a customer CTO with BT. Charlie, is yeah. that fair? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Ex Hi. Excellent. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Um, Stuart Clark, and, and I'm, the reason I'm pointing like this is this is where you appear on my screen above me. So uh, uh, Stuart, who, uh, of course, we all know and love from uh, Cisco DevNet. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Not sure about the love bit, though. But always, okay. mate, always. Yeah. And, and of course, we have um, Eloise uh, Kalapis from um, Eloise um, Bloomberg, right? Um, working That's out right. London. That's right. Nice to be here with all of you. Awesome. So, yeah, I talk about a British uh, influence. Of course, she works in London. Um, we've seen not, not from these. Good fair enough. <laughs> not, not quite from these fair isles just yet. Hey, um, the guys, as, as we know, the network engineering community, we've spent. Oh, would you believe my phone rings at exactly the wrong moment? Good grief. Get rid of that. Apologies. There it goes again. I'm just going to stamp on that. Mm. As we know, <laughs> the network engineering community has spent an awful lot of time over recent times. And and Stuart, you're you're as, as responsible for this as anyone, I suppose, learning about all these crazy network automation ideas of programming, of DevOps, of Ansible, and all this good stuff. But for a lot of people, I guess this is theoretical, right? We yeah. we what does actual network automation really look like and, and how has it changed the working lives of those who practice it? And that's why we're here today, guys. We're here to, to talk through some of the ways in which network automation specifically has changed from what we do from being, you know, CLI jockeys to, to really using pro these, these programmability ideas in order to deliver capability into the networks that we support. So what I'm going to do, if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to we'll, we'll sort of do a rotation. We'll go around the table, and we'll look at some of the areas. Take one of you at a time. Look at some of the areas where where things have changed for you, and we'll just have a bit of a free for all discussion, if that's okay. Yeah, excellent. excellent. Sounds well, good. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Good. All right. Well, Charlie, Charlie, let's start with you. I mean, as as a as a customer CTO in BT, I mean. Just give us a, fill us in a little bit about what that means, and then perhaps um, if we can sort of take that into when network automation has changed, what that that actually uh, does day to day. Sure. So I, I'm working in the area which is where uh, say say you've got a customer who's um, you know they own their assets, they own their, their infrastructure, but they want BT to manage it. That's the area that I work in. So they've offloaded the risk of the moves, adds, changes, and runs uh, of that environment. So, so that's the area that I'm working in. Whereas, there's, as you'd imagine, BT has other areas like the global network, which has sure. got a high degree of automation in it. I don't work in that bit. So I'm working more, more on the, 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 the customer-driven side of it. So uh, network automation's coming about really about managing risk, you know, doing things fast and, and, and managing the risk of that. So 
uh, there's loads of examples I could give, but um, for example, with uh, you know a complex change, I was doing a change for a customer that that does some stuff for national infrastructure, yeah. and uh, the change windows that you get are very tight. You might get two hours on a Sunday morning at two o'clock in the morning or something like that. Uh, and if you screw it up, then uh, it affects people in the morning. You know, it becomes a news item, right? Yeah. So that's that's something where there's there's risk. So uh, if if you're going to do a change, or, or especially if it's a a sweeping change, it's like how do you do that change consistently, and how do you check that the changes work? So how do you do your your pre and post uh, checks rapidly so that you can you can remediate fast as well? Mm. Uh, but in those environments, you're going into it with a lot of planning. You've got all your decisions made in advance. You, you know, if this happens, what do you do? And you try and anticipate as much as you can. Uh, and where the automation kicks in is that you can you can test for those different things. You know, it's like if this has this happened, has that happened, sure. has that happened, and figure out what has happened where, so that you can respond. And hopefully, no one knows that you've been there. You know, no one's seen the change, and it's so it's, so it's not just and, it's not just about pushing <clears throat> stuff out. But then yeah. validating that the right thing or, or that the right outcome has come from pushing stuff out. Okay, absolutely. Is what you're saying. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Um, so, so you know that the service was good when you started, and it's good when yeah. you finish. Yeah. Yeah, which is always the thing, isn't it? Everyone wants to walk away from one of those change windows without, uh, without having to, to sort of work the crazy hours to try and fix everything. Which I guess we've probably all done at various various times. But uh, yeah, I can for imagine. Sure. I can certainly imagine uh, yeah, uh, automation changes that game completely, right? Um, and, and I suppose in terms of actually operating the, uh, operating the service itself and providing a way of, of giving that feedback to, to customers, I suppose that, that shift is, shifts as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So um, one of my colleagues, he's, uh, you know, he, he wrote a tool that uh, looks for changes in a customer's environment and and runs that every day. You know, so uh, where you've got environments, especially now with with APIs being more exposed, you you expose more of the change down to the customer, so you empower them, right? You, right. you empower them to to run their own things, but you've got to do that in a in a particular way. So that's managed through protection and identity. So you know, we we can't have someone you know, you can't have a customer making a change breaking something and then we compensate them because they made a change that broke their network but we're on the contract <laughs> so so there's an element there of, of making sure that um, you know we sweep the estate like with ACI for example the the code that you wrote sweeps um, the fabrics to see has there been any changes either made by a person or by another automation system you know like someone's done something on VMware or right. firewall said block this or some security events happened. So, so that we see that and we have visibility of that. Now, there's other systems that do that kind of thing, you know, that, that are meant to be tracking change. But this is absolutely checking that that nothing's been missed. And and if something has happened, we've got a very quick view of, of oh, this happened at this time by this this actor, uh, and then um, and then bring that bring that to the fore if there's an a, an incident that we need to manage. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, uh, as well, that's that's going to be very much tailored to what the customer requires of the service. So really, it's all about making sure that the, that, that you're delivering the optimal service to that customer at that point in time. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. And and I guess there's there's another aspect to that. If if a customer doesn't care about that config at that gory, detailed level, you can kind of abstract some of this stuff away as well, right? And start looking at 
self-service and workflows and blah 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 do, do you get to to play with that side of things very much oh yeah yeah for sure so um being able to take as much complexity out is is really important because um what, what that does what that does is it actually opens up the user base it means that you can move away from just having you know really smart networking engineers driving a project and you can devolve stuff down to say you know let's say you've got 10 engineers but you've got 200 project managers right if you can empower them to self-serve uh, by limiting the choices you know give them like an a la carte menu so to speak yeah. uh, and productize stuff in, in in that environment then then it empowers them it, it does two things it drives volume for for uh, consumption of the service which is which is good for the provider but it means that the customers getting getting their job done right yeah. uh, they're, doing, they're moving faster and and speed is is better than efficiency in a lot of in a lot of things yeah and i guess i guess that that it comes back to almost what what the part of the reason why we deliver networks anyway is is to make sure that we're, we're giving them the maximum opportunity to deliver the application traffic when they expect it maximize the availability of the it systems right and and that that i guess is is a way of 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 like say creating that that uptime basically for, for, for them to, to be able to to make the changes they need to make but but not have to be concerned with um the, the gory details of how it how it goes uh, how they're implemented yeah i mean if you can separate running the infrastructure from the user experience and improve the user experience then people are going to use it more right yeah you know, so it's got yeah. trust and confidence mm -hmm. in it maybe yep. But the thing, the thing you got to remember is that you know, with great power comes great responsibility, and all that. You know, but uh, got to sniff in a Star Wars. Right? But you know, with, yeah, with, <laughs> with, with, with automation, you can you can mess things up pretty quick, oh, right? So, oh, yeah. so you've got to make sure that if you're introducing speed and and repetition, that you're yeah. also introducing risk controls as well. You know, so how do you how do you achieve that value without introducing more risk? So your testing program becomes really important there yeah and i think that's a lot of the reason why you know especially within the enterprise environment a lot of companies and organizations were very slow to adopt this um certainly some of the early experiences i had with automations within teams was that we didn't want to adopt this because too many times automation had ran and it's to your point charlie is that you know you can take a network down quite easily when we're talking about network automation <laughs> with just you know just simple one-line command you know and it's happened to every engineer whether it's spanning tree or not putting the ad word on switch port vlan you know that that thing or you know something worse for bgp and then um but with automation you know you're pushing out at such a of a you know a wider scale you know you're automatically connecting to a lot more devices so it's a lot easier to you know, to bring down um, a, a network in that sense. And some of the, you know, some of the earlier pieces that, you know, certainly I saw in my career was doing, you know, certainly automation at scale, the, the first few times when this was run, there was, you know, a number of things where services went offline for periods and we were still doing, rolling out automation at sort of like two in the morning at a quiet period because, you know, we tested in prod, <laughs> went straight into the, <laughs> into, into the prod um you know where things and it was just simple things like automating things like load balancers shifting things around from devices for devices for or, or pools things for capacity and things things were really laborious changes 
um, removing sort of single slash 32 IP addresses from different pools to different firewalls and redirecting traffic globally around, you know, those mistakes kind of happened. Even, you know, even though we were doing some kind of checking, there was some unpredictability within there. And our, our business unit really shied away from it hmm. to start with. And this is why, you know, when we went into back into automation, we had to go in and we had to go into the company and the, you know, the decision makers to say, this is our plan. And our plan had to be 100% kind of rock solid here because we couldn't afford customer downtime, you know, yeah. at all in, in that circumstance. Oh, Eloise is uh, on mute. There, so. Go on. I think uh, that's a good point because with network automation comes big responsibility, right? And mm -hmm. I think for me, um, coming from a knock environment, that's my first, that was my first desire to automate because you are, you know, looking at hundreds, if not thousands of circuits or, you know, interfaces and links that you're looking at and to troubleshoot very similar protocols, you know, over and over again, I was like, there has to be a better way to do this, you know, um, and it kind of was this major shift in like thinking, well, this is what a network engineer was and what a network engineer needs to be now because of just the mm. scale and the complexity of, of the systems that we're working with at the moment. I think I think you've you've introduced another magic word there, is complexity. Because for me, it's as much about the fact that you're not doing the same thing to thousands of devices that are all the same. You're doing you're doing that, but then you're doing other elements that all need to tie together. So so mm -hmm. you've got this 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 you know, this this combination, if you like, of different network domains that are built together and interact with each other in order to deliver a service, you want to make sure that you if you if you make a config change here, it doesn't just you know, make it doesn't impact stuff what's going on here. Mm -hmm. But what about all the other network domains as well? The interactions have to be right as well. Right? So this is where you're talking about the testing stuff that, that Charlie mentioned before and about that understanding, isn't it, of of, of the end-to-end. -end. Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, that's, sorry, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's just thinking that, um, you know, that's, that's why, like, now we understand the use of APIs within uh, network automation. You know, we can use different programs and different capabilities of different systems to achieve something much greater whereas before i think we you know within network engineering certainly there wasn't that understanding how we had this problem but how do we solve it you know um and that's why i really love like the cisco devnet you know kind of um you know uh, world is because they are educating you know the global network engineering community how we can solve problems. And that's ultimately what we want to be doing as network engineers, right, is, is solve problems for our customers. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Charlie. Yeah, I was, I, I was just going to say that when I first got into networking, it was, uh, it, was, it was actually more about directed graphs. It's all about those kind of systems, about how things in, interlink and interoperate. And I don't know if you remember HP OpenView, you know, years oh, okay. ago, like mm. a, a very early network monitoring tool, like twenty yeah. years ago. Well, I, 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 you know, when I was when I was doing my degree, I, I, I rewrote uh, a, a network auto discovery tool. You know, and the idea was 
um, how do how do you uh, understand the system as a whole? So rather than managing individual nodes, there's context. It's like how do you get that context? And then with context comes a greater understanding of the system. And then um, and now as things have moved on with you know you may have heard of the term digital twin, for example. You know how do you get a, a view of the system as a whole and how one thing interacts with another? Being able to ask questions of that, I think, is going to be increasingly important. Yeah. Yeah, because you can ask the question of what's happening now, what do you observe now, but really the the future is going to be in. You know, if I'm looking at code and all the interactions, you know, what should it be or what could it be, and do they line up? And and do they line up? Yeah, I mean, and Charlie, I'm, I I do apologize. I know I didn't said I wasn't going to mention any product, but um, you've you've kind of hit on part of the reason why IP Fabric actually exists, right? <laughs> From a network assurance perspective. So at that point, I'm going to let that go. Um, okay. and, and we'll move on, but um, but but you're, you're you're absolutely right, of course, and I would say that. Um, but I suppose I mean, Eloise, you mentioned um, DevNet, and obviously we've all got um, a lot to, that we've learned from 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 the DevNet process and everything. Um, Stuart, you can't have even begun to imagine that it would <laughs> change your life the way it has, right? No, no, it it, it hasn't. I just can't, you know, when you think back and the, you know the parts and the process, like. You know, and how I joined DevNet as well was just kind of very, very strange in that I I became aware of DevNet through social media. Um, and I tried to learn automation through brute force, like, a, like we all do. We try to learn things by brute force. And un unfortunately, I wasn't smart enough to, <laughs> to learn it through brute force. You know, like so many people do, you know, a lot of people, you know, just refer to documents and away they go. And for me, it had to be more of a structured learning process I found that's the best way for me to learn you know and you've seen me bark on consistency consistency <laughs> you know consistency and that's something which I really do stick to um it, it, in so not just you know learning coding or different things it, it's in every section of my life um and yeah I came across DevNet and it's um you know Thought, this is just great you know from an outside perspective and then started talking with the team internally um to the to, to the leadership and the people on the team you know because because you were like you're already right so again you were, you were at cisco already at i was yeah i'd already been with cisco sort of five years uh, at, at that stage and we'd started automating you know two of cisco's biggest global networks and that was really great but what i found was is that um, I needed to learn deeper, a deeper understanding of, you know, out of automation, of things like Python and the tooling, because like I said, I just kind of just brute forced it. And that gets you so far, but having a greater understanding of how and why you're doing something rather than I'm typing this just because Joe told me this is the way to do it yeah. kind of thing. Um, Joe being a fictional character, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, Honest. you know, so I, I spent a year kind of, before I joined DevNet, just going to, you know, DevNet's materials, the learning labs and the pieces before joining, you know, joining DevNet and then, you know, joined DevNet. And I mean, you know, that was such a great opportunity for me to then start creating content for DevNet and speaking for DevNet. And then the momentum started picking up. And, you know, we, when we went in, when we started working on the DevNet certifications, it, I mean, DevNet was big, and then we started doing the certifications, and it just exploded. Yeah, I just went like a it went like a rocket ship, 
um, which was just so such great honor to be a part of, you know, that entire process as well. Um, yeah. That's yeah. interesting because before DevNet launched this big 2020 kind of campaign, right? Get your certification, you've got one year and then you get a special badge and who knows what all else. Mm. I was, yeah. There was already a course on um, the learning network that was called Dev AAC. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was that was like the, and I tried to get access to to study it, but I was kind of still busy doing like foundational network training kind of. So, and when DevNet came out, I thought, wow, like the, this is like when the CCIE kind of came out and everybody was like, Cisco is so great. You can earn so much money if you have a Cisco certification. This is that time in history where you can get on the bandwagon, right, of something that's still in its infancy and you can grow with it. And I think what's so cool about automation, not just, I mean, from the Cisco perspective, but with automation is that it's something cool that an engineer can do, right? We all want to work on exciting, interesting projects. If you have the skills, it opens up opportunities to work mm -hmm. on more exciting projects. But it's also, you know... Um, what I've seen is this, it's been a shift in people who want to get on that wagon and people who don't, people who are thinking like we are here to, we want to learn automation to take their jobs, you know, we're not going to work on the CLI anymore. There's, but what the more I work and the deeper I get into automation, the more I realize that it's, it's honestly, and Cisco has coined this, but it's, a, it's an extra tool in your toolkit. And mm -hmm. for the next-gen next gen engineer, you're going to have to have these skills, right? Um, but just to, just to kind of show, showcase kind of what learning automation skills, and I'm still a beginner, basically. I mean, I got my third last this year. Um, so I'm still learning. But already, just because of understanding and knowing this, the fundamental topics, you know, I've been able to move into a really cool team, a really cool job. And at the moment, like stuff that I'm working on is resilient. And, and earlier, I think Charlie was talking about testing our systems, you know, with the, the growth and how, how, how systems are becoming more complex. We testing our network in the lab is not good enough anymore because we test and we we bring it into prod, but we mm -hmm. always somehow there's real world scenarios that we can never ever plan for. And that's mm -hmm. really where this like resilience experimentation or chaos experimentation really comes into that we can learn about our system because we're now injecting failure in a very controlled way. It's not in a chaotic way, injecting failure into our system with certain ideas like saying, okay, if, Link A, we, we've got 20 links, so our, our, our application should be completely redundant, right? If one link goes down, it should be fine. Let's test how, you know, redundant, how resilient our system is. Let's take out five links. Let's see what happens. Because a lot of time we have application issues and people blame the network team and we're like, no, it's not the network team. It's the no, network. It's DNS. So, no, it's always DNS. Exactly. So, but how can we prove this, right? And how can we do mm -hmm. this in, um, in a way that 
you know, the business will actually approve of because you can imagine you, you can't, you don't want to bring the system down, right? So you, you don't want to lose your job. So that's another kind of thing. And I just want to kind of highlight to people who are listening is that there's so many new avenues of work that automation opens up for people. You know, don't think like one track, you know, just automating whatever on the network. There's so many other opportunities. Now, that's a, that's a really interesting point because 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 there is that sort of classic network automation equals configuration mm-hmm. templating push policy push whatever yep. um, mindset and yet there is so much more to it though isn't there because I mean I I, I think of of coming from from a network design background and have it, and being about building networks to be to be managed and operated to, to maximize availability, you then said, well, actually that network data is great in the network, but also why not integrate it with other things and, and have messaging and chat chat ops yeah. and, and, and all this sort of good stuff that you can, you can basically change the way that you operate a network altogether. Mm-hmm. You still need, and as you rightly point, point out, Eloise, you still need that, that networking knowledge because without it, mm-hmm you'll never get to the bottom and understand exactly why things are doing the things they're doing. But to have to then be able to use the the capabilities that are brought from a from a programmability perspective changes the game completely. And I think what's the opportunity here is that you you are able to get a seat at the table with these skills. So I'm not a CCIE, but now I'm working with people that are CCIE level. So I, it's it's a win-win for me. You know, I'm learning from them, you know, and I'm also gaining experience. Sorry, somebody wanted to. Well, I, I was just going to say that the, the dynamic of the network and where the network is, is, is changing as well. And there, there are bits that are mm-hmm. opaque and bits that are, provided by services and service providers, but that, you know, provided by cloud providers or sub, you know, third party contractors and all that kind of thing. So uh, as these systems are growing, um, you know, we're getting organizations that are investing in buying in capability to do something to, to get speed, you know, to get that value faster. But then, you know, how do you then check that it's deployed as required? You know, so, if you design in an application to say the application is resilient between two two locations, and then you find that someone's nailed up an IP address in one <laughs> site and the thing doesn't fail over, you know that that kind of con- continual verification yeah. is is important. You. Otherwise, you find out, and the first person that tells you is a customer. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's awful. And, and that's <laughs> the worst place to be, isn't it? In front of a customer trying to explain why all those cool things that you put in place to to save their service have collapsed because of one little part somewhere deep in the in the automation and it's gone pear shaped so mm-hmm. I, I guess i guess eloise that was what, what you know when you talk about your your resilience engineering that's that's it isn't mm-hmm. it it's all about understanding those those relationships those interdependencies and and then being able to highlight where where they can go wrong exactly you know and and the ability to kind of be able to identify root cause quicker because you understand those dependencies yeah, that's that's cool stuff. Um, Stuart, I'm conscious. I mean, we 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 talk about we talk about the programmability stuff and all the rest of it, but there is you know it's, there is a whole load more to it, right? So, mm-hmm. so I know um, there's been um, a lot of focus recently in DevNet on things like NSO and orchestration yeah. capability. What you know, 
has that had any impact in, on on what you're doing at the moment and what on what people you, you're seeing in what people are asking? Yeah, it's funny because you know we were talking about this a little bit earlier before we went live. You know, automation isn't isn't exactly new. You know, people have been writing back scripts and scripting for a very long time. You know, I was um, speaking at uh, Lonat uh, a while ago. We haven't done even personal events for a while. And I was speaking at LoanApp and I was there and, you know, there was a, a gentleman talking. He was saying, yeah, well, you know, yeah, during the late 80s. And I'm thinking, late 80s, <laughs> you know, and he's talking about this. And I mean, expert in the field, you know, been doing this for, for many, many years. And, I've, you know, we'll have all have seen people writing bash scripts, expect scripts for a number of years. And these are great. And I used to work with some really talented engineers who would be able to, instead of, you know, that we're talking about logging into multiple devices, they just use a script and do it. To Charles's point, they couldn't roll that back. There was a lot of times that couldn't get rolled back. So they had to get it right first time, you know, or there'd be again, manual intervention. There was pretty much no checking going into this either. So once it went out into the big wide world and it was deployed, you know, it was a kind of a done deal. So you had to be really, really good at, 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 at doing that and writing individual scripts to perform uh, tasks is great. It's time saving, as we know. It can be a lot. It can be a lot more accurate. But then we start to look at something a lot wider, which, is, to your point, is orchestration. How do we build this into complete pipelines? You know, how do we put a lot of these things into here? So we think about this. So when we start talking about building, say, consistency across a set of vendor neutral data um, neutral data models across everything that we're doing you know within our um in our in our network and our back end and everything um like this so you know we're implementing the entire service end to end and we're standardizing everything that we're doing and it's repeatable you know we're not just creating these kind of uh, the the snowflake or oh, we can we can do this we can do this we need to have that entire change model in place and that governance across the place. And this is where we, you know, start seeing a lot more use cases with, you know, SDN controllers um, once, you know, networks get to a certain size. And SDN controllers, I think for me, that was always the interesting bit when I started my automation journey, writing scripts, and I was using, you know, Python and Ansible to, to do this. And we were using like a, a backend like Netbox, CMDB to list all the devices. But what were controllers going to do for us? You know, so we're talking about yeah. what has networkation ever done for us. You know, you could say that. And then in in the true spirit of the life of Brian, I could go, SDN controllers. You know, when you ask that kind of question. <laughs> and this is where, you know, we start to see, you know, the SDN controller like NSO, you know, SD1 and Crosswork, DNA Center, you know, there's a whole a whole bunch of you know great controllers out there which can do tons more for the network, you know. So there's when you look at the modern controllers and take something like Crosswork, how Crosswork is evolving now, you know, we're talking about having machine learning and artificial intelligence built into this. Mm. So it's very much think, and the way that I like to think about this is, you know how we're kind of mapping the weather and we're, we're doing predictability models on the weather, whether it's going to rain, how much sunshine we have, you know, whether it's going to snow. We're looking about that from, you know, at the network now, how the changes are going to affect our network, what's taking place within the network. And a really funny story when I used to work ISP level was, um, you know, we all remember the, sadly the, the death of Michael Jackson. 
And that had a tremendous effect on the internet. You know, we see this, if you're working in any service provider, C, uh, C, uh, CBN or providing internet services, major sporting events, uh, new funny cat photos, you know, go online, bandwidth starts to soar, you know, especially when they're streaming things like the Olympics, you know, we've seen this bandwidth just, you know, starts to be consumed across your internet links and things. And I remember telling a customer once and he was saying, oh, you know, we can't get to these sites. And I actually said to him, you know, um, we've seen a dramatic slowdown because when I'm reading about it on our, um, the sort of like, you know, the, the uh, what used to be called IRC channels, reading on them on these channels about saying, oh, yeah, links are saturated, my, you know, death of Michael Jackson, blah, 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 had a huge surge in Internet. And I said to this customer, we've seen a huge surge in internet traffic due to the death of Michael Jackson. And he just started laughing at me and called me, you know, <laughs> said, you know, I was, made, I was fabricating stories for, you know, our ISP services being terrible. And I was like, no, the, you know, these events happen, but this is the kind of the predictability that we're looking at, you know, with AI and machine learning. And so if we're seeing huge, say we're, seeing huge capacity transit through you know start to transit to links we need to add and bundle more links into that service you know in the same way that sre does this when they start to see more capacity they start to add more vms in there they mm -hmm. have to do this you know yeah. in it with their hybrid yeah. cloud it's either yeah the elasticity exactly they start mm -hmm. to add it into their cloud instance and they start to you know move traffic around and that's how we're also viewing the network now. This is when we're looking at sort of, you know, uh, cl uh, cloud native network engineering as well and, and building out this capacity as we start to see things changing. And it's not kind of like, you know, 10 engineers piling all into this, trying to go, yeah, I'm adding links here, I'm adding this here, I'm adding this here. Our SDN controllers are now taking care of this. They're seeing mm -hmm. the change and they're putting more capacity and shifting traffic where we need it. And we see this with, you know, again, products like you across work doing things like uh, rooted optical networking as well shifting capacity as we need this so you know network engineers like me can sit back drink more coffee <laughs> you know and look at more cat photos winner it's interesting i i always think here about how um if you think about routing protocols and, and whatever that we've used traditionally to manage these these kinds of things, it was always very much a, a distributed control plane effectively. Everything looked after its own immediate sort of view of the network, but everything was centered around the device. And what you're describing there is, is kind of lifting up a lot of that intelligence and having it from a central point where there's a, a view across the entire network and understanding right okay oh now i need to go do something over here because because i've i've, I've hit a bottleneck or or I'm, I'm, i can scale things down over here because it's it the traffic's quietened down and, and whatever so it, it it's a whole different world right because because we're so used to thinking well you know osbf will look after that or, or bgp will look after this mm -hmm. and 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 having to construct these these kind of labyrinths of ton, tunnels over everything in order to make make stuff work and now what we're saying is well if you if you you're augmenting that with this completely new layer of visibility across the the, the entire network to, to to help then i suppose a layer underneath to automate and and make the changes that need to be made in order to facilitate yeah. that it, it, it brings right. with it a new a new set of problems that need to be solved as well, yeah. right? So, mm -hmm. so when when you when you bring, uh, okay, I'm going to say some bad words now, but you know, people frown upon 
the use of SNMP, right? But if you just look at, you know, look beyond the protocol as a distributed system, right? You, yeah. you're, you are spreading the load across every device. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as you move to a controller architecture, uh, you're, you're bringing all that data up to a controller. Uh, and, and the question there is, is, is it just another server or an instance that's hosting that and you're hammering it for, I don't know, 5,000 nodes worth of telemetry? <laughs> or is it, is it um, you know, a scale-out platform behind it? You know, this is where Meraki is a good example. Mm -hmm. you know, I, can you pull data back in linear time? You know, so regardless of the size of the managed estate, can you pull that data back in linear time? Or is it going to get progressively slower as you add the, more nodes the to that system. Estate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so there's there's been so much focus, especially in you know, um, you know, VX land, you know, which covers most software defined networks. But there's been so much focus on getting the features working, getting traffic moving. That for me, I'm looking at the in life operations, the day two yeah. operations. Can mm -hmm. I get the data out fast enough? Can I can I if I've got a 15 minute window to respond, you know, to get an action plan underway? Am I waiting 20 minutes to actually just pull the data back? You know, so we, we've we've got to we've got to progress the automation story to make sure that we can actually automate getting the data out, yeah. turn it into mm -hmm. information, and make real decisions. And and I guess this is where again that that sort of idea of cloud scale helps, right? Because if you if you deliver that that capability in the same way you would a cloud uh, native application, then you've got that ability to scale it out. You've also got all of the tools that can sit behind it, like the the AI and the ML intelligence that you need to to deal with the data and manage it and handle it, sounds to me like we you know network engineers are going to start turning into I don't know data scientists and stuff you know because I think well, that definitely part of it, doesn't it? definitely yeah, well, with yeah the... I think one of, the, sorry, one of the notes that I sorry one of the notes that I actually made was. Um, for today was the point of data extraction, data analysis, because mm. now with this mm. system and with services being like spread out over so, such a large, you know, infrastructure or architecture, you know, that your understanding of where things are, where services are at any specific given point in time, how, how are services impacted, you know, when, it might not be that the application completely dies, you know, but you might see latency or some functionalities that aren't working for your customer that should be working, you know. And and that's the whole point, I think. I know I'm coming back to the, like, resilience stuff, but I do think I, in all the time that I've been working with it, which isn't such a long time, but there's not really a lot of it going on in the network space. You know, there's a lot of application um, stuff that's been written. Um, but are we really, and do we really understand how, what our network is doing? Because in the past we had a topology diagram, you know, we had a, a Visio diagram and we knew we could say, oh yeah, this links to that. And we know exactly what's going on. And these are the protocols and, but even then it was difficult to troubleshoot. Now, everything is everywhere. So, yeah. Go on, Charlie, you were going to say. Well, I, I, was, I was just going to say it, with um, you know, AI and machine learning, for me, I, I, I've, not, I've not done anything with AI, right? I've been looking, with, looking at machine learning because, um, you know, like with NetFlow, for example, it's, it became increasingly sampled, you know, because you couldn't keep up. Uh, and the, the thing which got me looking into machine learning was that I could look at every data point. Mm. 
you know, so I could say, right, I need to ask this question of, of a hundred thousand data points. It's the same question, you know, go, go find out. Uh, and it was that kind of thing, being able to train a model and then have the model work with, with, um, you know, in a, in a far more efficient way, but, but cover all the data set rather than just sure. sampling bits. Which I suppose covers exactly the point that, that Eloise was making before, right? It's about how you, how you can make sense of all that data in some shape mm -hmm. or form, I guess with a, with ML, um, which obviously we're talking very very strictly defined cases, right? That 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 you're asking the ML to to work on, but it's just a it's it's almost like automation again, right? Except this time you're automating an analysis rather than a an actual configure piece of configuration or or a, right. a retrieval of information. So, um, gosh, right, layers and layers on automation. Oh no, you. you my head starting yeah, to you go. need automate. I mean, you can't sift through data like for days. You know, the first time you do it, you're going to have to kind of do it manually, but you're going to have to start finding ways of automating. You know, so it. I think yeah, there's the the roles of the future is certainly going to be super weird and hybrid. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's 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 very very true. Uh, but of course, there'll always be that need for the for the network expert, right? The people who, I God, I hope so. Um, <laughs> uh, those those people who can get to the bottom of things, um, folk. Um, I'm just thinking we're we're three quarters of an hour in. I'm just wondering whether um you've got any other points you wanted to make before we start thinking about wrapping up. Um, Stuart, you've been quiet for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was taken on board. It's, it's always great to you know to to listen. To, <laughs> you know to you know to the other experts, and I am I am told that I do talk too much. No, um, no, never, never, my friend. Neither, never. Uh, my wife says, do you ever shut up? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I think, you know, all the points you're making, yeah, hugely valid. I think it's, a, you know, as much as, you know, network engineering and, you know, the automation coming into this has changed in, you know, the last, you know, number of years, it doesn't show really any signs of, of slowing down at all you know if, if anything it's gaining more pace and we're certainly seeing this within our you know communities people are exploring into different other tools and we we're talking about you know not just doing you know um, cli things with automation now doing whole different things with automation loads of different great projects coming out we see these you know from you know the devnet community certainly the people that are contributing into you know, code exchange and sharing things at you know some of some of our events is is just you know phenomenal what what people are doing and um, you know I encourage everybody to get involved with those community projects and and start talking to other people contributing into um, you know open source projects as well putting in pull requests issues things like that um, because we can you know the you know two two heads are better than one yeah um, you know contributing into those kind of projects. Well, I think I think you've you've got some examples here of how how people can can learn from from their immediate peers, right? So it's it's important yeah. to share uh, as much as we can. Um, uh, Charlie, any particular thoughts you'd like to leave people with? Or well, I just want to second the community aspect because all all the 
all, all the work that I've been able to do and some of the ideas are, are really building on the shoulders of giants, right? Yeah. You know, people who have come Always. up with other ideas. I mean, there's there's loads of people out there, but, you know, notably you've got folks like, you know, John Capabianco or Jeremy Schumann oh. uh, and the work that they've been doing. Legends. I mean, you just look at their Twitter feed from the last 24 hours and you'll see, wow, I've just done this. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, my goodness, yeah. I've, got to, I've got to try that out. You can't yeah, get up with the guy. He's a, he's, no, he's, a, he's a machine. Yeah, he's absolutely a machine. Yeah. Also, you know, Jeremy Shulman, so, you know, stuff that he's mm. been doing, which, is, yeah. you know, and I, I borrowed some of his slides to actually get a business case over the line in, internally. Wow. And, you know, um, mm. you know, Chuck Black and David Bumble, you know, the, the, the stuff that they've yeah. been putting out and, yeah. you know, really giving out via YouTube and on the community and the live streams and stuff. It's that that's mm. the that's the kind of thing, worked examples that I can then build on. Yeah, that's yeah. been really helpful for me. I guess, Eloise, you're, you're just follow in that in that as well because you, you obviously do do work in the community yourself as well so yeah i think what I, what i would like to say is you know i when i joined when i started my blog and i kind of joined instagram and i was on the whole devnet bandwagon i think meeting so many people who are so enthusiastic about the same things that i am enthusiastic about it inspires you it pushes you when things when when it's hard right because it's not easy to learn a new skill when you haven't done computer science in university you know it's not easy but it is achievable and i think one thing that Stuart said that was great you know people put in pull requests and and all that kind of thing i think for me at the beginning initially you know, it was so hard because I had all these ideas because I was working as a network engineer in real time, but I felt so kind of out of, I had the book knowledge about, okay, I can automate this, but you sometimes need a helping hand, you know, and I, and I want to say to people, don't be afraid to reach out thinking that somebody might not even answer you on LinkedIn or, um, cause that's how we met Darren, you know, put my, brave hat on and like, hey, I, I need help, you know. So ask for help. Don't, you know, mm -hmm. and that's the way you learn, you know, is by someone maybe yeah. showing you. Um, but don't let your good ideas go to waste, you know. Ask for help and see how your cool network idea could be integrated. You never know. Cisco might use it one day. <laughs> you know, you never yeah. know. True enough. Actually, it's, it's interesting because I was just thinking, the the not the exact opposite but but the the fact from from those who, who are in a position who who have learned these things and who who are on on the path there's an awful lot of people who aren't and and i think mm -hmm. uh, you know just just something i see in, in in our day to day is that that there are people who are yet to start on that journey and i think all i'd say there is you know for 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 those of us who are lucky enough to have started Bring those, bring bring other, everyone else with us, right? So that we're we're working together to to move the whole thing along. Um, I think it'd be really, it'd be a miss if we didn't and and let let other people learn from from the experiences of people like your good selves, um, and and the rest of the community generally. I think is is really really important. So community, interesting because community, 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 and oh, that'll be community then. So I think there's some mm -hmm. a bit of a theme. <laughs> Yeah, there is, and I I I see Oannes has uh, commented on. You know, yeah. Thanks for commenting on that, and Oannes will testify. And I didn't realize I said this until I didn't realize I said this as much until he pointed out to me, and he said, "This is Stuart always says we are all in this together," and I I truly do believe that. Yeah, totally. I really do believe that, and I you know I think you know speaking to people, 
Yeah. Hearing their experiences has been the greatest lesson for me throughout, you know, my, you know, not just automation, but my entire career and stuff. And it's one of the, you know, the great things. And, and I am honored when people reach out to me, you know, at Death Now and they say, hey, we're doing this and stuff. And it's great just listening to people, what they're doing, where they're getting stuck, the common use cases, what they're looking to learn, what's blocking them and all of these things. And just hearing those stories, those real world stories. And then, you know, often, you know, if it's a something I can help with, then we can take that to Cisco. And we can say, you know, hey, you know, this is what we're seeing, you know, what's the, what's the plan here? You know, are we looking to remediate this, you know, and then we can feed that information back and build this kind of collective loop to, to all of this. The, the beauty of it is as well, there's always people who have a certain type of brain will, will be able to attack things in a certain way. Others will have others. And by collaborating, it means that you've got access to, to all of that knowledge and that, that experience and that, and that way of thinking, I guess, which, which is, is, key to the whole thing right what we're trying to do here i suppose is move networking along full stop right we're not we, we don't want it to sit still because you know it's it's been a certain way for a certain period of time but we we need to to change to adapt to do all of the things we've talked about today i mean these things could not have been done without having automation the way way we envisage it now we wouldn't be able to to build the levels of availability and resilience engineering and all that sort of good stuff if we if we didn't take this stuff into account so i think it's you know it's really really important that that by working together by taking people with us on on our journeys then then you know we we all as as charlie said you know stand on the shoulders of giants right that's that's the way to to progress things yeah awesome listen i'm going to wind it up there because i think that's a really nice uh, really nice point to stop um Folks, your your I see all of your Twitter handles on the screen in front of us here. I take it if if you'll accept anyone to come and approach you. Um, and I guess LinkedIn is the other place where where people can get you. Just general general nods. Yeah. Cool. All yeah. right. Well, listen, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. It's been very cool. And you know, we'll probably go on gassing anyway after <laughs> after the stream stops. <laughs> everyone I was, but uh, no, it's been really really good to see you all and. Uh, if I, well, I certainly won't be the first, but I'm sure I won't be the last either to wish you all the uh, season's greetings and uh, uh, hope to see you all in real life very, very soon.